be in Romans 5, uh, the first 11 verses. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, fire up your devices. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you. That way you can be looking at God's Word. It's actually pre-marked to this week's uh, passage. And if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you, please, take those. We would love for you to have a Bible of your own in your home. We think it's so crucial to have one so you can have God's Word with you at all times. So go ahead and take that as our gift to you. But as you're turning there and going there, you know, uh, I've been kind of reflecting a lot on, on work as I've made a transition from iron worker into this new field of, of, of pastoring. And my wife's seen her go from homemaker into chaplaincy and, and now assistant at the school we go to. And I think about, you know, when, when we have jobs, when we're going to look for jobs, we, we don't always just look at that, that initial wage. You know, what's on the check, we can often get lost in that, but there's so much more to it. To see if a job is truly worth it, what do we look at? We look at what are the benefits that come with it. What are the add-ons? Sometimes those are more important than the actual wage itself. I actually read here this week that uh, most, I say kids because I'm getting old, but people 20 to 30, as they're earning in the job market, they actually put a higher value on the benefits package than they do on the wage that they take home. They want to know what kind of vacation am I going to get? What kind of medical insurance am I going to have? Dental. What does the retirement plan look like, the 401k? You know, what does the future look like with this? They're looking ahead. Because when we look at those benefit packages, we can see if that job is something that, that is trustworthy, something that's reliable, something that's worth being part of. Well, Paul has just spent these first four chapters laying down the, 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 the foundation for justification by faith. He went into it there in chapter 4. He really brought that home, this need for it. And he knows there's going to be those who are going to be hesitant of this, especially from the Jewish side. But he knows there's going to be those who are going to be hesitant. Is, is this reliable? Can we trust justification? What, what's in it that shows that it's something we can rely on? And so Paul, he's going to lay down the benefits of justification by faith. He's going to lay down, actually there's seven of them we're going to look at today as we go through the seven benefits to being justified by our faith and not by our works. And so join me as we read these first uh, 11 verses, and then we will uh, break them down and look and see these, what these seven benefits are. So beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if we were enemies, uh, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
So, Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, thank you for your message. Speak into us today. We invite you in, Lord. Let me step out of the way that you may step in and speak to us. May your spirit touch our hearts as we see these benefits to being justified by our faith. And so, Lord, we love you and we pray this in the perfect name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Paul, he jumps right into it, right there in the first part of the first verse. He shows what this first benefit is. And this first benefit of this is that we have a past justification. We have a past justification. He actually summarizes the first four chapters in one sentence. That first sentence. We're going to look just the first piece of it. He summarizes. You see, he's talking to believers now, he, he's done debating this view of faith versus works. He's laid down the bedrock. He's proven that everything has been by faith. Even the, the fathers of, the, of, of Judaism, they were redeemed by their faith, not by their works. And so he's not going to debate this anymore. He's going to stand on that truth. And he says, therefore, having been justified by faith. He says, having been the, the Greek words that are used there, the, 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 the verbs and, and, and participles and all, it, it points to something happening prior to the verb. Well, the verb is justification. He's saying something has happened prior to it. Before they ever got justified, something had to have happened, and that something is their faith. He says we've been justified by their faith. And this is, this is actually critical, this wording here. God doesn't put anything in by accident. This is the breathed word, inspired word of God into man. It's not by accident. You see, there's a very big difference between being justified and having been. He could have easily said, therefore, being justified by faith, but they're so very different. You see, if being justified, it's this ongoing state. It's a constantly being renewed, being reconciled to God on a daily basis, anew. Whereas having been justified is saying it's been completed. It's done. It's happened in the past. And while it can seem like it's just semantics and we're just splitting hairs, why it's so different and so critical, or crucial, critical, critical, I guess, when you put them together, so crucial is because if you don't have that separation, you begin to, to confuse justification with sanctification. And they're two very different things. They're both very, very different. You see, if we are constantly being justified, if every day we're constantly having to be redeemed, well, then we never have full assurance that, that we have believed enough, that we have enough faith. In other words, it's, God, have I, have I had a strong enough faith? Have I believed enough to be blessed with your forgiveness? There are many that are that way. They, they, they don't have that confidence. But, but if, as Paul says, we have been justified, in other words, it's completed, it's done, well, now we have confidence. We don't have to worry. We have this assurance, and instead, now God continues to work each and every day of our lives. He continues to shape us, to mold us, to convert us into the image of Christ, that becomes sanctification. And that's why it's so crucial to see these differences. And Paul says it's a blessing, it's a benefit that we have this past justification. We have been justified. We don't have to worry. 
And he continues to build on that. Because we have been in the past, he says the second benefit, continuing in that first verse, is he says we have peace with God. We have peace with God. This is a, a, a state of being. This, don't confuse this with a feeling. It's an actual way of life that we have this peace. It's not the same as when Paul writes in Philippians 4 that talks of the peace of God. That is a, a feeling of tranquility, a feeling of, of calmness. Paul is saying that we have this peace. In other words, there's no strife between the judge and the accuser. It's gone. Maybe a way to look at it is, unless you've been blessed to be able to go pay cash, if you've ever bought a car, you've had to get a loan. That loan is a separation. There is a, something between you and your car that has to be taken care of. Being able to write that check each month, knowing you can write that check, that is having the peace of, because you know you can take care of it. You have the peace of God, this feeling of tranquility. But writing that last check, sending that last check in that eliminates that debt, now there is nothing between you and your vehicle. There is no strife. That is having peace with God. That's the difference Paul is talking about. You see, if you remember, if we look back, Paul had talked about the wrath of God that was going to come on the unrighteous. You remember back in verse, chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And 2, verse 5, he says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. And then in 8, But those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Paul is talking about this wrath that's there. Well, he said, now we have this peace with God. The believer can have, have a peace that comes, and how does it come? He says it comes through the Lord Jesus. It comes through him. It comes through, through having that confidence and that, that truth of his death and his resurrection. Again, if you just look back a few verses, in chapter 4 and 25, he said, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, and was raised because of our justification. Remember, you can't have one without the other. Without his death, there was no acquittal. There was no price that was paid. And without his resurrection, he didn't, nothing was overcame, overcome. But Paul says, because we know this is true, and we see that Christ has done this, we can have this confidence. We have this peace with God. You see, peace is what separates Christians from the other religions in the world. Peace with God is what separates us. The other religions in the world, they have to constantly strive. They have to work to earn favor with God. Whatever it is, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, they have to go be missionaries. They have to go out and share God's word. We don't have to. We are compelled to. God calls us to do it, but we don't have to do that to have peace with God. We do it out of the love that we have for him and that he's commanded. Muslims, it's a weighted scale. And they do so much good, and they do so much bad, but even in the end, ultimately, God can reject them. They never have that peace and that assurance. They always wonder, is their work good enough? For the believer, when we put our faith in Jesus, 
When you put your faith in him, you're putting your trust in the work that he has done. And because he is God, Jesus is God, therefore he's perfect, that means the work he has done is perfect. We can have confidence that it's good enough and that there is nothing that separates us from God. We've been forgiven of everything and we have this peace. And so Paul continues on. We're going to go through these pretty quick because there's a lot and I don't want to keep us here all day. But not only do we have a past justification as a benefit and we have a peace with God, but he says, man, he says, now you have access to God's grace. Another benefit is you have access to God's grace. We finally made it all the way to verse 2. Paul says Christ came not just to bring us this peace, but he says we can enjoy a continuing relationship with God because Jesus has provided the way for us to enter and to stand in this state of grace. In verse 2, continuing out of 1, he says, Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. This grace in which we stand. You see, it's through faith that we can stand in God's grace. It's the only way it happens. But it's only because of God's grace that we're able to stand in his presence. Our faith means nothing without his grace. And grace is sometimes misunderstood. But justification is a pure act of grace. Remember, grace is when we do something, we get something, not we do. When we get something we don't deserve, we didn't earn it, it's not ours, but we receive this gift we didn't do anything to earn our justification. We did nothing to earn it. But God bestows it on us, and yet still lets us have free will. Well, does that mean that there are people who are going to abuse God's grace? Are there people who are going to take for granted this grace God has given to them? You better believe it. You better believe there are people out there who will profess faith in Christ but never live a life that's changed. They will take that grace of God for granted. Listen, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you're a believer and you sin, and we all sin, we're taking God's grace for granted. We are. We know what we're doing is wrong, and yet we still do it. We're going to learn more about that as Paul talks later in this battle inside us. But we're taking God's grace for granted. This does not somehow corrupt this message of grace that permeates through the gospel. We are sinners and grace is the only remedy, true grace. True grace is the only remedy. And Paul is saying that Christ is our access to this grace. This grace that brings forgiveness. This grace that brings redemption. And ultimately, as he concludes in that verse, this grace that brings hope. And see, in the first couple there, in verse 1, Paul was kind of looking back in the past, this justification, this peace that we have. Now he's kind of, he's looking towards the future. He talks about this this hope. You see, even though we're going to fail, even though we're going to make mistakes, we're going to sin, because God still allows us to have free will, we have this hope. That one day, God is going to restore us into our 
perfect state in which he created us. We can boast in this, he says. We can exalt in this hope. Because we're in his grace, we can exalt in this hope. We can look forward joyfully, knowing what's going to come. Remember, we have been deemed righteous. We talked about this. We've been deemed righteous. We've been made right in God's eyes. But we're still living in a sinful world. We still make mistakes. One day, we will be made righteous. God will put us back in the perfect creation that he made us for. We will be back in that perfect relationship that we were designed for. That's not going to happen here on this earth. The only way it's going to happen is we're going to leave or Christ is going to return. Until then, we're stuck in this state of brokenness that surrounds us, but we have this hope. Because we're in God's grace, we have this hope of what's to come, that there's something better to come. And while we have hope in this, Paul talks about another joy and hope, and this one's tough for, I think, a lot of people to get their heads wrapped around. You see, the next benefit Paul talks about is he says, we have joy in tribulation. And man, I don't know about you guys, but I don't find joy in the hard things in life. I don't find joy like I should when, when I'm going through struggles or pains. We recently moved my office downstairs, and in the process I built some shelving. And I've done construction for many years. I should have known better, but I didn't. And in two days, in two different feet, I stuck two different nails. I didn't find much joy in that moment. But that's the key. You see, Paul says this joy isn't in the moment. The joy is in the outcome. The joy is in what is yet to come. What's going to come out of these struggles? He paints this picture of growth as we go from, from pain to glory. As we move from, from, from painfulness to, to glory. In verse 3, he says, And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Tribulations. That comes from the Latin word of a tribulum. It was actually a farm implement that would have been used during Paul's times. It's still used a little bit today. It's a large wooden or piece of wood, mat, whatever you want to have. It's a pretty good size. And it has these sharp hooks in it. And the way they would use it is they would drag it through the wheat fields. And as they drug it through, it would break the heads of the wheat, separate the grain from the chaff. It would break it apart, tear it apart, separating the good from the bad. This is the picture Paul is trying to paint for us. That through these tribulations, through these pains, God is using these to separate the good from the bad in our lives. And that can be hard to do. That can be hard to wrap our minds around. But Paul is saying to the believers, stand confident in the promises that God has given you. We have this hope that we can boast about to come. So in these moments, we don't have to be convinced of what the enemy is lying to us then. We can boast in what's to come. But I can hear, I can hear those that are saying, now wait. I have a hard time believing in a God when I see the struggles that are going on in this world. When I see the pain and the hurt, when I'm suffering with illness or some child that's hungry and starving without a family. 
I've heard people say, I, I, I can't believe in a God when I see this. How can you have hope during those times? Well, Paul says it's because it's during these times that the believer is drawn closer to God. He's drawn closer. He says that knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, endurance. Why do we endure? Because we rely on God. We rely on Him to get us through the moment. And that endurance, or that perseverance in us, proven character. Because we know God is going to fulfill it, and ultimately we have hope. We rely on the promises of what's to come. We know that God is going to use it for his good in the end, even if we can't see it in the moment. And the best example I can give, you've heard it before. If you've been here, I'm sure you're going to hear it many times. But the short version of it is our friends back home that lost their 18-year-old son right before Christmas to a heart problem. Short story, while he was in the hospital, while they were trying to resuscitate his son, the father was in the waiting room, and he was sharing the gospel with every person that was in there. Because his hope wasn't in that tribulation. His hope was what was promised in the end. His hope was, what, was in what God had told him. He knew what his son's beliefs were. He knew his son trusted in the Lord. As David said, I will see the child again. Listen, peace with God does not mean peace on this earth. Christ says that we're going to have struggles with the earth, but we can have confidence because he's overcome the earth. But we're going to have struggles. We're going to have pain. We're going to have hurt. Our life is filled with struggle because the world is filled with sin. We are going to be filled with it. But the believer can have confidence that this is all part of our sanctification. This is all part of what God is going to use to shape us and mold us. And when the time comes that he calls us home and we leave this earth, we will leave every material thing behind. Every earthly desire will be left behind. And what will be left is the spiritual goodness that God has shaped in us through these tribulations. We will have this goodness that's left. So we can have joy in the times when the rest of the world doesn't see joy when the rest of the world sees sorrow, when the rest of the world sees hurt, we can see brokenness just waiting to get fixed by the gospel. We can see the promises of God that will come forward. And now the next benefit, and this is probably my favorite one, I've been so looking forward to this passage. The next benefit that Paul says, is Paul says we have the benefit, we have the demonstration of God's love. We have the demonstration of God's love. He starts off right there in the very beginning of it, starting in verse uh, 5. He says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He said, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a sign of his love. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, immediately the Spirit indwells within you. So when you're going through those tribulations, why can we endure? Because God is right there with us. The Spirit is right there in that moment with us. The Spirit is what guides us through these times. We have a God who has endured the struggles we have. Don't think that God doesn't know what you're going through. Our Lord and Savior was beat he was nailed to a cross. He understands pain. He went and saw his friend Lazarus 
and he wept for him, knowing he was going to raise him from the dead. He knows our struggles, but God has sent the Spirit. Christ says it's the helper that has come to us. It's better if he leaves, for God will send the helper. The Spirit that's within us that convicts us, that convinces us, that speaks into us. You see, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us like this. So he sends the Spirit down to help. And that's a sign of his love that he is indwelling within us. And then these next verses, Paul wants to show this demonstration of God's love that shows how God's love is so much greater than man's love. God's love is so much larger, beyond our comprehension. He says, first, he says, God's love, his timing of his love is perfect. The timing is perfect. See, we share our love when it's convenient. When the timing is right, that's when we will love someone. That's when we will show our love. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus came at just the right moment in time, when we needed him the most. God is never late. He's rarely early, and he's always on time. And he sent his son at just the right time to demonstrate his love. This one's tough because Paul says that our love, we give our love to those that we think are right. We give our love to those that we think are worthy. You know what? We even sometimes will withhold our love. We will withhold the love we have for someone as punishment or as retribution. I'm upset with them. I'm going to withhold the love I have. Verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. We withhold our love to those that we think are worthy. I got some family here from Kansas City. They'll remember this incident. Years ago, there was a carjacking out in Independence, out on the east side of town. Had a Mr. Goodsense. Young boy in the back, seven, eight, nine years old. Mother's trying to get him out. She can't get him out. Carjacker takes off. He is wrapped in the seatbelt, and he is drugged for about seven miles drugged down the highway. The boy succumbed to his injury. If that guy had wrecked that car in the Missouri River and was drowning, how many of us would risk our lives to save him? How many of us would put our lives on the line to save someone who had done something so horrible? Because we think they're not worthy. A little less morbid. You go down here to Manchester, to the homeless, you see someone in the park shooting up drugs. How willing are you going to be to go and share the gospel with them? Are you going to say, they need to get some things right in their life first? They need to get their life straight. You see, Paul says, our love is conditional. But he says, God's love is unconditional. God's love has no conditions And in my favorite verse in the Bible, if any of you know me, you know this is my favorite verse. 
It says, but God demonstrates his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to die for the very people who wanted nothing to do with him. He sent his son to bear the wrath of God, let's be honest, for his enemies. He didn't send Jesus to die for the righteous. He sent Jesus to go to the people who were so undeserving of God's love. That is unconditional love. God didn't say, no, they're not worth it. Jesus didn't say, Dad, they're not worth it. He said, I'll go. This is the best news anybody could ever hear. God loves you so much just the way you are that you don't have to change anything. You don't have to get off drugs. You don't have to stop drinking. You don't have to fix your marriage. Let's be honest, you can't do any of it. Only God can do it. He sent his son down to die for the unrighteous. Jesus came down to bear the wrath of God and die so you could live. awesome is that? He did it so he could have a relationship with you. And, and somehow we think that we've got to get our lives straight first. We've got to fix our lives first. We don't have to do anything. Because Jesus has done it all. He did it all. And all we have to do is accept this gift that God has given to us. To put our faith in God's demonstration of His love through His Son. That's it. If you take nothing else out of this message, I don't care if you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever, memorize verse 8. But God demonstrates His love and while we were yet sinners. Could it be that there is a God who loves me so much that He dies for me even though I don't want Him? Memorize that. Speak that verse to yourself every day when you wake up in the morning. And remember, there's a God that loved you that much just so we could have that relationship with you. The sixth way, sixth benefit that Paul says, is he says we have this deliverance from future condemnation. Verses 9 and 10, he says, Much more than, in verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You see, Paul has been looking at the past and, and a little bit to the future, but now he's looking at the big picture in the future, the big benefits of this faith. You see, he says the, 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 believer, the believer in Christ is now free. They don't have to worry about this future wrath on unrighteousness. We don't have to worry about it anymore because we've been justified by, by his blood. You see, that was the hard part in all of this. The hard part was, was God, was Christ justifying unrighteous people. And so if he can do the hard part, how much more will he do the easier part of delivering us now that we have been deemed righteous? That's the easy part, it's delivering us from God's wrath. Morbid illustration again, it's just kind of one of them weeks. 
I'm going to hit you with a baseball bat as hard as I can. I'm going to hit you in the arm. I'm going to hit you in the leg. I'm going to hit you in the gut. I'm going to beat on you, and I want you to forgive me the whole time. How easy is it going to be for you to forgive me while I am constantly attacking you? Paul says that's what Christ did. That's what God did through Christ. If Christ was willing to shed his blood for us while we were sinners, if he was willing to die for us, how much more is he going to be willing to do for us now that he lives? And he lives. We worship the living God. How much more is he going to do? See, in verse 10, Paul says, for while we were enemies. Remember, we said we were enemies. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. While not only were we helpless, Paul says that we were in direct rebellion. We wanted nothing to do with God. And yet we were reconciled in that state. And listen, make sure we understand, it's always that we are reconciled to God. God is never reconciled to us. We're the ones who have done wrong. We're the ones who need redeemed. We're the ones who need reconciliation. You'll never see anywhere in scriptures that said God reconciled himself to someone. It's always us being reconciled to God. Always us going to him. And so if Christ's death can reconcile us from our past, how much more can he do for us now as our intercessor? As he is speaking to the Lord on our behalf. You see, I said God's done the hard part. Through the blood of Christ, he has redeemed you. If you put your faith in Jesus, he has redeemed you from all of your sins, from every sin you have ever done. Christ did not die partially for you. Christ died fully. Do not buy into the lie that there is something you have done in your life, there is some sin in your life, something you've done wrong that God will not forgive you for. That is a lie from the enemy. Christ went to the cross. He is God. He can see all of time. He knows everything. He wasn't there on the cross going, now wait a minute, I didn't know they were going to do that. He died fully knowing everything you've done. And so if we can have that confidence that he fully knew every sin, we can know that he's going to forgive us of every sin. He's going to deliver us completely, not part of the way. He's going to completely deliver us from the wrath of God. That's another benefit. And then to conclude this, as I don't know if this plane ever even got off the ground, but to, 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 to land it, Paul comes right back to where he began. You remember in the first verse he says that, that we have the peace of God. Well, he's looked at the past He's looked at our past, that how we were saved by Christ's death on the cross. He's looked to how we will be saved in the future by Christ's living. And now he says the last benefit is that we have this present relationship with God. We get to have a present relationship with God. Right now, we get to enjoy, the believer gets to enjoy this, this moment, this time with God. You can have that right now yourself. Every one of us had that option. When Christ went and died on the cross, he provided the way directly to the Father. When Jesus said, it is done, he meant 
Every work is done. There's nothing else you have to do. It says the veil was split from top to bottom. The veil that's separated in the temple, the, the us from the holiest of holies. There was nothing between us and God no more. His death has cleansed us of our sins. There is nothing that separates us from the Father anymore because the price has been paid fully. We get to enjoy this, this present relationship with our Lord and Savior. And now that lets us enter into our true purpose in life, our true purpose to come back and to be with the Father. And all you have to do is have faith in the work of Christ, justified by faith. As Paul has worked through this, through these ways, he's shown us so many benefits, so much of past justification and peace and God's demonstrated love. But perhaps the greatest is we get to have a relationship with him. And it all starts with the gospel. All of this is available and it begins with the gospel. And like I do every week, I'm going to share the gospel with you because I want to make sure that when you leave here, if you know nothing else, you have heard. No one can ever say, I didn't hear the gospel at that church. And the gospel is this, that you were created on purpose and for a great purpose. That was to have a right relationship with God. That's why you're here. It's not for anything else. Everything else in life is a bonus. You are here first and foremost for a relationship with him. But God is perfect and we are not. Because of sin, sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve and has progressed through every generation to each one of us. We have been separated from God. There's a barrier that's between us, and it's called sin. Our unrighteousness and his righteousness divide us. But God in all his wisdom saw our greatest need, and that was for a Savior. And so at just the right moment in time, we saw that earlier, God's timing's perfect. He sent down his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin, and he did what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. Christ went to the cross where he bore the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. And he died, and he was buried, and he arose on the third day, proving he was who he says he was, and he could do what he says he could do. He defeated death once and for all. The price was paid. The wages of sin is death. He paid it, and he overcame it. The Bible tells us if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. Man, this is the best benefits package you're ever going to find. There's nothing better out there. God has offered complete forgiveness. And all you got to do is believe him. You don't just believe in him. You got to believe him. Do you believe that Jesus is enough? Because it is. That his love for you is so great, he was willing to die for you. And all you got to do is hand it over. Give up and gain so much more. Gain an amazing package simply by surrendering. So let me pray. And then after we pray, this is the first month, we will do communion here. And then when we do our final uh, hymn, if you have anything you need to pray about, if you have any questions, anything going on in your life, you want to talk about how to have this relationship with Jesus, I would love to visit with you. Please come up. Don't be shy. That's what I'm here for. If not, catch me after the service. But don't let another day go by separated from the love of God.
It's the greatest love there is. So unconditional. So let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the rains, the new life that they bring as they replenish us. They wash over the earth, wash away the dirt. Lord, I'm reminded of the the work that you have done, Lord Jesus. As your blood washed away the sins of all those who would believe. Paul has laid out here an amazing, amazing view of what we get. Lord, it doesn't matter if we get anything. The most important is we get a relationship with you. We get eternal life with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were willing, even when we were unworthy, you came running. So, Father, I pray for those here today, those maybe listening online who have never put their faith in the work of your Son, have never put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, let them feel the love that you have poured out on the cross at Calvary. Lord, let them see your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray your spirit will work on their hearts. I pray there will be some today, someone, somewhere, who will cry out for the love of Christ, who will cry out for forgiveness. Lord, we know it is only you who can reconcile us. There's nothing we can do. So, Lord, we put our trust in you. Today and every day, as our Savior, as our Father, as our God, and we thank you. Lord, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, let us not forget the amazing benefits that come with it, that we can have peace, that we know that we are at peace with you, and we don't have to worry about future reconciliation, but let us never take your grace for granted. I pray for repentant hearts. I pray for humbleness, Lord, I pray that we will go about your work. Lord, we know that the the mission field is white and ready for the harvest. And so I pray that we would all be the workers that you would hurl out there. And we pray for more. Let us be your witnesses here in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And may your word go to the ends of the earth. And so we love you, Lord, and we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.